Welcome to Your Change, a broadcast aimed at revealing grace and empowering transformation. Through the revelation of God's undeserved, unearned, and unmerited favor, we are committed to helping you make better changes in life for life. Let's get to the ministration of the word this morning. And I'm excited to have the privilege in life of communicating his word to his precious people. I have no doubt that for me that is my purpose. And I thank God for pouring his grace to walk in what he called me to do. And this morning I want to continue to teach on what I started the week before the Youth Sunday. So I want to teach on part two of Christ the prototype. Christ the prototype. Somebody say Christ the prototype. Now my simple objective today it is to leave you at a place where you can see yourself in Christ. To a place where you can clearly see yourself in Christ. Because your identity is found in Jesus Christ. So the more we talk about Christ, the more you should know about yourself. The greater the revelation of Jesus Christ, the greater the revelation of yourself. So I want to take that as the objective today, to leave you at a place where you can see yourself in Christ Jesus. Praise be to God. Now, I know other people were not here on that Sunday, so I'll kind of like whisk through what we shared on that Sunday and add a little bit more from today. If you're able to write down, I encourage you to do so. If you're able to record on your phone, as usual, we give you the copyrights. <clears throat> Praise be to God. And I know Brother Emmanuel on the side there, he's, he does all the recordings. And uh, please do take advantage of all the platforms that we have on Spotify. We are there. We are on iTunes. We are on, on YouTube. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. So please do take advantage of those platforms so that you can continually expose yourself to the ministration of the word. Now, when we talk about the prototype, prototype uh, is a fusion of two words. And when you trace prototype from, uh, from the Greeks, it's a fusion of two words, protos and typos. Now, protos, it simply means first or original. And typos, that's where we get the word type which means uh, model, or it also means form, or it also means pattern. So when we speak of the prototype, we are speaking of the first type or the first model. Uh, we can talk of the original model. We are talking about the first impression 
So in this context, the subject is Christ. And we are saying Christ is the prototype. In other words, Christ is the first model. Then the question becomes, what model are you talking about? Christ is the original or the first model or the first impression of a believer. And that's why at the beginning I say the objective today is to leave you at a place where you can see yourself in Christ. Now, in order for you to clearly see yourself, you've got to look at the first impression. You've got to look at the first model or the original model. And the original model is Jesus the Christ. Is Jesus the Christ. That is why we are talking about Christ, their prototype. And uh, I think the best illustration we can give uh, emanates from those who are in the car manufacturing business. When they are designing a car that has never been, desi been designed before, what the designers do, they go on the drawing box and they they create what they call the prototype. They manufacture what they call the prototype. And I think last time I gave an example that when they were designing the BMW 7 series, before they went on the production line to produce about 50,000 or 100,000 of uh, BMW 7 series, what they did is they went to... Uh, the first part of uh, the designing, and they produced the seven uh, series prototype. Now, the purpose of the prototype, it is for them to do all the checks and the balances that needs to be done. But what uh, you find that when they create the prototype, the prototype, before they go on the production line, the prototype is subjected to all kinds of tests. The prototype is subjected to all kinds, all manner of tests that you can think of in the car business or car manufacturing business. And uh, a few examples that we gave last time. The prototype is subjected to the speed test. They have to test how fast the 7 Series can move. What speed can it move with balance? It is subjected to that kind of test. The prototype is also subjected to what they call the crash test. They want to see what is going to happen if this thing crashes. If there is going to be a collision, a head-on collision, how does it respond to a crash? In other words, they're testing uh, all those kind of things like the airbags. Uh, how, how do they explode? At what speed? And what kind of safety can they give to the passenger, to the driver? It's subjected to all those kinds of tests. Not only the crash test, but they also carry what they call the braking test. They want to see how the car can break in the event of an emergency. And when you go on YouTube, if you just... Uh, type uh, crash test uh, or a brake test uh, or, a or a prototype test, uh, you, you, you see that they create uh, the, the models or the, I don't want, the robots of like people and uh, they go on these testing grounds and the car is released to move at a very high speed and they allow this robot to walk and they want to see uh, the braking system, how 
it functions and the capacity of the braking system. So what they are doing is they are subjecting the prototype to all kinds of tests. Uh, they will also test the lifespan of the, of the seven series of the prototype. In other words, they have to drive the prototype car for thousands and thousands of miles. All they're trying to do is they want to see that at 60,000 miles, how does the seven series perform? At 100,000 miles peg, how does the 7,000 series perform? They subject the car to all kinds of tests. Not only that, they also do what they could call the performance test. They do the durability test where they want to see the ability of the car to withstand pressure, to withstand different kinds of environments. So they will drive the car in very cold environments to see how the car performs. They will also drive the car in extreme hot conditions. What they're trying to do is they, they want to ascertain how the car will perform in all those different kind of conditions. Now, when they finish all those kind of tests and they certify and they are happy with uh, the design which they have designed, if I may put it that way, that is when now they proceed to the production line. Now, when they go to the production line, they are not starting to scratch their heads and say, what kind of a car do you want to produce? Now, when they go to the production line, they are now producing according to the specifications of the prototype. Everything that is done on the production line is on the basis of the prototype. Somebody say the prototype. So, using that uh, illustration, uh, when we say Christ is the prototype of a believer, we are saying when God wanted to produce uh, an ethnic group uh, or an, uh, a, a speech that is called uh, a believer, a Christian, a born-again believer, what God did is uh, he gave us or he released to the earth uh, the prototype in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, before believers, uh, a group of believers were born again, that is you and I, what God had to do, he had to subject the prototype uh, to all kinds of tests. The prototype he had to endure all kinds of tests. If you can give me Hebrews chapter number 4, verse number 15. Hebrews chapter number 4, verse number 15, preferably from the NIV version. When you look at this verse, I want you to see Christ, the prototype. And the scripture says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize or to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted. That word tempted, it means to be tested. We have a high priest we has been tested in every way. Are you seeing what I'm talking about? We have a high priest who has been tested in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. He was subjected to all kinds of tests. Yet the prototype, the scripture says, the prototype never sinned. So that's why when you look at the life of Jesus Christ, you find that uh, his entire ministry life, his entire life, he was subjected to opposition. You find the Pharisees now and again, they rose up and they opposed every move 
that Jesus took. The prototype he has to be tested first. Not only did they oppose him, but the prototype was accused. Accusations were laid before the prototype. The prototype was also rejected. That's why the Bible says, says he came to his own, but his own did not accept him. The prototype faced rejection. Not only was he rejected, but he was also humiliated. You find that his life, he was humiliated at different points. But the pinnacle or the climax of humiliation, it was in him being crucified or dying the death of a cross. Because to die that kind of a death, it simply means that you were cursed. But we are so grateful because Galatians 3.13, it says Christ redeemed us from the case of the law by becoming a curse for us. So when they nailed him on the cross, he became a curse for us. In other words, that was a humiliation for you to be punished by the cross. It was a form of humiliation. Not only that, but we see Christ uh, dying on the cross. He faced all kinds of battles in the very same way that the BMW designers create the prototype and they subject it to all kinds of tests. We have Jesus the Christ released on the earth and God the Father allowed him to be tested in every way. He allowed him to be opposed. He allowed him to be accused. He allowed him to be humiliated. He allowed him to be rejected. He allowed him to be crucified. He allowed people to spit on him. He allowed people to insult him. Why? Because he knows that once we go past the stage of the prototype, the kind of believers that are going to be reproduced from the model called Jesus Christ, they will be able to withstand everything and anything that the prototype was able to stand. Am I talking to somebody in the house this morning? So if the prototype was subjected to opposition, I want you to understand as a believer that your life will never be exempt from opposition. If the prototype was subjected or exposed to accusations, as a believer, I want you to understand that you are never going to be exempt from accusations. Accusations are going to rise against you in this life. If the prototype was subjected to humiliation, you've got to expect humiliation in your life as a believer. But here is the good news. The prototype withstood. The prototype overcame. The prototype was able to stand everything and every test that was brought to him. He passed the test. He passed every test that was brought to him. So for you as a believer, for you to be able to understand yourself, I'm saying look at yourself in Jesus the Christ. If the prototype overcame opposition, in you, the, your DNA tells me that you can overcome any kind of opposition in your life. If the prototype overcame accusations, 
Let me tell you, it doesn't matter the kind of charges people who lay against you, be it at home or at work, you have the ability, you've got the capacity on the inside of you to withstand every kind of accusation. That is why the Bible says, no weapon fashioned against you shall ever prosper. But the next part I like it says, every tongue that rises against you, that's accusation. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment or in the courts of laws, you'll be able to refute. Why? Because whatsoever the prototype was able to stand and pass the test, you can pass the same test. You can overcome the same things that the prototype was able to overcome. Somebody say Christ the prototype. Somebody say Christ the prototype. Now, the principle of the prototype or the characteristics of the prototype, they tell me that if the prototype functioned in that manner, then you, the one who is derived from the prototype, you are able to function at the same capacity that the prototype functioned at. That is why when they create 50,007 series BMWs, if the prototyper has the ability to move as far as 200 miles per hour, I tell you that whatsoever is created after the prototype is also able to move at 200 miles per hour. So in other words, the first characteristic is that uh, you, you are able to function in the same way with the prototype. Not only functioning, but you're able to perform at the same capacity with the prototype. You are able to endure everything the prototype endured. Amen and amen. Am I talking to somebody in the house this morning? Uh, it is my prayer this morning that as you go through life, as you experience all manner of hardships in your life, I don't want you to be discouraged, but I want you to see yourself and understand what you are made of. If Christ was able to withstand opposition, you can stand all manner of opposition because the same material that they used to make the prototype is the same material that they used to make you. I remember the last time I said, if I'm to use uh, the, the, the current language that we all use, I would say you and Christ are in the same WhatsApp group. Yeah? You and Christ, same WhatsApp group. In other words, you are the same. That is why 1 John 4, verse number 17, it says, As he is, so are we, where? Not when you get to heaven. So are we in this world. So in the very same world that Christ faced humiliation is the same world that you are living in. The same world that Christ faced rejection is the same world that you are living in. As Christ is, so are we. So anything that Christ overcame in this world, you've got the capacity on the inside of you to also overcome, to also overcome, to also overcome Christ the prototype. Now, uh, I want you to understand that uh, what is it that made Christ to be able to function at that level? What is it that enabled the prototype to function the way that he functioned? And we discovered that it is the Holy Spirit. 
is the Holy Spirit. Somebody say the Holy Spirit. Somebody say the Holy Spirit. Now you've got to get to a point where you can ask yourself this question. What was in Christ that made him to be able never to be discouraged by opposition? It was the Holy Spirit in him. What was in Christ that made him never to pull back or to throw in the towel because his own people rejected him? It was the power of the Holy Spirit who lived and operated on the inside of him. What is it that made Christ to be able never to be discouraged by the words and every kind of accusation from the, from the Pharisees? It was the waking of the Holy Spirit on the inside of him because you remember anything that is that goes on the production line it must be made according to the specifications and the same material that was used when they made the prototype and i'm saying the same things that god used to make christ are the very same things that god is using to build you to make you to shape you and to mold you until you are fully formed into the image of jesus the christ a few examples, a few examples. The birth of Jesus Christ, it was a result of the Holy Spirit. That is why when you go to the book of Luke or the book of Matthew, the Bible says when the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, there's the angel speaking to Mary, angel Gabriel speaking to Mary. He says, when the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, you shall conceive that which is of the Spirit. So his birth was a, was as a result of the Holy Spirit. And so, the believer must also be born again by the Spirit. John chapter number 3, verse number 4 and 5. It says, that is when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus. He says to him, unless you are born of water and of the Spirit, you shall by no means enter the kingdom of God. Yep. Unless you are born of water and of the Spirit. You shall by no means enter the kingdom of God. So Christ, the prototype, was born as a result of the Spirit. A believer is also born again as a result of the Spirit. In Matthew chapter number 4, verse number 1, Luke chapter number 4, verse number 1, the Bible says when he came out of Jordan from being baptized, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in the form of a dove. And a voice was heard saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. After that, in chapter number 4, verse number 1, it says, And then Jesus was led, not by the devil, but he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested. So this means if the prototype was led by the Spirit, a believer's life must also be led by the Spirit. Romans chapter number 8, verse number 14. Romans 8, verse number 14. Those who are led by Facebook. Those who are led by the Spirit are what? They are the children of God. If the prototype was led by the Spirit, as a believer, you cannot afford to be led by anything else other than the Spirit of God. Because failure to do that, you will not be able to function at the same capacity with the prototype. We are living in very crazy and weird times where a believer who is formed in the image of God is now beginning to operate like a BMW. The prototype was made to function 
or to, to use diesel. Can we put it that way? The seven series was meant to, to function using what? Diesel to power it. But you have some crazy seven series. You find people pouring paraffin. And then when you, tr you start to drive it, you look at the exhaust. It's smoke. And in no time, it's no longer going anywhere. Because what you're putting inside of it is not compatible with how it was left. And all I'm trying to say to you, as a believer, your life is supposed to be led by nothing else but by the Spirit of God. That's, that's your life. What is supposed to give power to you to move and to function is the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only was he led by the Spirit, but you find that Jesus was filled with the fullness of the Spirit. So, a life of a believer, it must be indwelt by the Spirit of God. I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse number 17, if I'm not mistaken. It says, who, the one who is joined with Christ is one with him in the Spirit. I hope I'm right on that one. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17. Whosoever is joined with Christ is one with him in the spirit. That means the fullness of the spirit then comes and it begins to dwell right on the inside of you. Yes, that's the one. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in, in the spirit. Christ was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter number 4, verse number 18. The spirit of the Lord has come upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He was anointed, so a believer is also anointed by the Spirit of the living God. But listen to me today, I just want to draw your attention to just this one aspect of the work of the Spirit in the prototype and in the believer as well. In the prototype and in the believer as well, specifically in the believer. If we can go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 1 verse 20, 21 to 22. First, second Corinthians chapter number one, verse number 21 to 22. Now, it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership. Somebody say ownership. Somebody say ownership. He set his seal of ownership on us. Not only that, but he also put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Oh, I love that verse. He set his seal of ownership on us. After setting that seal, he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come? Somebody say guaranteeing what is to come. Somebody say guaranteeing what is to come. Do you mind going also to same chapter, same book in chapter number five, verse number five? Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. The one who has formed us. The one who has fashioned us. 
the one who has created us for this very purpose is God. And that God has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Do you mind going to Ephesians chapter number 1 verse 14? Ephesians 1 verse number 14. And you also were included in Christ when you what? When you heard the message of truth. What is that message of truth? It is the gospel of your salvation. So when, when you were included, when you also, you, you were also included in Christ when you heard the message. So the hearing brings the inclusion. And the next part says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Verse number 14. That Holy Spirit is said to be the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. Go back to verse number 13. I think I'm going to stick on that one for a little bit. Now, in you as a believer, I want you to understand the role or the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, if you remember that day in Matthew chapter number 3, when Jesus was being baptized, the scripture says the heavens were opened. And when the heavens opened, the spirit descended in the form of a dove and rested upon Jesus. And a voice was heard. And this is what the voice was saying. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. So in other words, when you look at that statement, it's a statement that is, that is speaking of ownership. God is actually saying, as far as this one is concerned, he is mine. Christ is mine. Jesus Christ is mine. My beloved son. So in other words, God is putting a stamp of ownership on the son. He is mine. He is mine. But when you come to Ephesians chapter number one, in the very same way that the prototype was owned by the father. When you come to Ephesians chapter number 1, it says, when you were included in Christ, it was a result of you hearing the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. But when you believed, God placed a mark of ownership on the believer. And that is what the Bible is calling the seal of ownership. And that seal of ownership is the promise the Holy Spirit. So the presence of the Holy Spirit upon your life is a statement from above declaring to the world that this one is mine. Uh, I told you to somebody in the house this morning. The presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is a statement or a declaration from God the Father. And that statement is saying this one is is mine. That is why one of our confession statements, it says, in this season of influence, I know 
who I am and whose I am. I am not of my own. I belong to someone. And that someone is heavenly the father. But in order to show that we are his property. <laughs> Say to somebody who's next to you, I'm someone's property. I know it's a statement that women would love to use so much, those who are married. Yeah, when someone is trying to play tricks at you at work, you say to them, you know what? I'm someone's property. But from today, I want to upgrade you, everyone in the house. I want you to leave this place with a full declaration. <laughs> saying, I am someone's property. And when the, when, when the demons of hell are shaken and, uh, and they are throwing equations to you, you tell them, I'm God's property. So in other words, I belong to God and God alone. I, I, I belong to him and how do I know that God has ownership of me? It is because he has placed his spirit upon you. And that spirit is the seal of ownership. It just makes me so grateful to God. It just leaves me at a place where I become so excited just to know that I belong to God. It doesn't matter what I face in life, but you know what? I'll face the issues of life knowing very well that I belong to God. So anyone who tries to control me, I will say no to because I know the one who owns me. And the one who owns me is the one who has got the legal right to control the affairs of my life because I'm owned by him. I'm owned by him. I'm someone's property. And that someone is a heavenly, the father. Glory be to God. That is why when God came in, he marked you as his very own property. In other words, you belong only to God. Only to, only to God. Now, this is where I believe in the power of teaching. And I want you to listen to me very carefully. This is where I, I, I value or I treasure a believer who is grounded in the word. You know what? When you really understand that you belong to the Father and that the seal of the Holy Spirit is upon you, these are positions where you can refute even generational cases. This is where your faith needs to rise up and you should be able to refute, to refuse, to reject, to deny, to denounce, to rebuke, any kind of generational case upon your life. Why? Because you are standing in where you are positioned. I am in Christ. This is where I belong to. You know, there are certain things, you know, sometimes we try to make them look so powerful. Yes, they're, yes, they're powerful. But in comparison to the power that is at work in you, your power is more powerful. A believer who is strongly grounded in the word, you know, there are some things that you don't need to take eight days of the week to fast for. Yeah, you heard me. I said there are some things that you don't need to take eight days of the week to fast and to pray for. If you understand where you are positioned and you understand the one who lives on the inside of you, and when you understand the power of the one who lives right on the inside of you, there are some things that you just need to put your hands in the pockets and just make a statement. 
I belong to God the Father. I belong to God the Father. And the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of me. Why am I saying this? Because darkness and life, they don't coexist. Darkness and light, they don't coexist. If we switch off the lights in here, suppose that's the, that's the first stage that we find when you come in here. The lights are off and it's dark. The moment you introduce light, there are no negotiations. The moment you switch on the lights, there are no negotiations. In other words, we're saying, there is no way darkness will say, ah, please give me two minutes. Yeah? Darkness will not say, ah, please just give me, give me three minutes so that I can what? I can leave you in peace. Uh-uh. It, it doesn't happen that way. Why? Because darkness and light, everybody look at me, darkness and light, they don't coexist. And here's what I'm saying to you. If God the Father placed a seal of ownership, which is the Holy Spirit in you, there is no way darkness can live on the inside of you unless you're ignorant. Unless you're walking in ignorance. But if you're walking in power and in the knowledge of what God has done, you'll understand that there's no way darkness can operate on the inside of you. Am I talking to somebody in the house this morning? So when you look at what the father did, the father came in and he placed a seal of ownership on you. And that seal of ownership, it is the Holy Spirit. And what I like about that seal, it also attests to value. It also attests to value. In other words, if God is depositing his spirit in you, that means your value has changed. If God in the greatness of his power and in the majesty of his beauty can come in and take part of his spirit and he places it on the inside of you, you are not a cheap person. You are no longer an average person. Because God is not taking something that is, uh, that is not using, something that was in his storeroom. No, he's taking the, the very nature of himself and he's placing himself on the inside of you through and by his spirit. That means you are not just uh, somebody and, and nobody. No. You are of great value. You are so important in the eyes of God. And what gives value to you, it is the spirit of the Lord on the inside of you. That is what gives value to you. Your value does not come from Ted Becker. Woo. Your value does not come from Gucci. That's not where your value comes and it's from. Yeah, ladies, tell me your shoes. Which one? Which one? Tell me. Wow, I'm hearing some designs I've never heard before. Red what? My goodness. Is there a black bottle? Listen to me. Your value does not come from anything that is external. But your value comes from the spirit of God 
who lives and operates from the inside of you. That is what gives value to you. A believer who understands that value does not come from material things. That one is a strong believer. Because if your value emanates from things that are on the outside, fashion changes. Am I talking to somebody in the house? Am I talking to somebody in the house? Fashion changes. I, I remember when growing up, you used to sing this song, Fashion come and fashion go. <laughs> but he never changed. Everything changes. But only God, by his spirit, he's unchanging in his very nature. He remains the same. He remains the same. So how do I know that I belong to God and God alone? First John chapter number 4, verse 18. Here is a verse that I want you never to forget in your life. How, 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 do, how do I really know that God lives on the inside of me and I live in him? First John chapter number 4, verse number 18. This is how we know that we live in him and he lives in us. This is how we know it. And he goes on to say, he has given us of his spirit. How, how do I know that God lives inside of me? How do I know that me and God, we are one? How do I know that me and Christ, we are one? He has given us of his spirit. This is what makes us have confidence even in the issues of life. Because by virtue of his spirit being on the inside of me, I know that God lives on the inside of me. In case maybe you're not so sure about the God that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the God who stepped on the scene in Genesis chapter number 1. When the world was chaotic, when the world was void, when the world was shapeless, but that very same God when he stepped on the scene and he began to call things that don't exist into existence. I'm saying that God... I'm talking about the God whom when the children of Israel cried after 430 years in Egypt, the God answered them when he remembered the covenant and he came to their rescue. That is the God that I'm talking about, whom the word of God says, how do we know that he lives on the inside of us? It's only ignorance that makes us not realize how powerful you and I are. I'm talking about the God when Moses and about three million people are standing on the Red Sea. They can't go backwards. The Egyptians are following them. They can't go sideways. There are two mountains, big mountains. They can't go forward. Red Sea is flooded. But that God, when he stepped on the scene, he speaks through Moses and says, the Egyptians that you are seeing and worried about, you shall see them no more. That's the kind of a God that I'm saying, that God, how do I know that that God lives on the inside of me? He has given us of his spirit. He has given us of his spirit. I'm talking about the same God when Israel was on Jordan, when they were about to cross Jordan in order for them to possess the promised land, the land of Canaan. And Jordan is flooded. And Moses and, and Joshua has got these millions of people. But when God stepped on the scene, what did he do? He opened the river Jordan and they walked on dry ground. 
That is the God I'm saying. How do I know that that God lives on the inside of me? He has given us of his spirit. He has given us of his spirit. He has poured his spirit on the inside of us. I'm talking about the same God right from the beginning in the book of Genesis. When he began to form and to fashion man, the Bible says, and then he breathed his spirit in man. In other words, he deposited his very nature on the inside of you. The nature that operates on the inside of you, it is not the nature of Adam. You are operating with the nature of God, with the DNA of God right on the inside of us. It's only lack of knowledge that causes people to perish. A story is told of a son who was, whose father was the king. He's what? He's, he's a prince. Yeah. But as you grow up, the concept of understanding that my dad is the king never clicked. So every time he would go out and, and go to school and everything else, he's got people who were employed to, to carry him to school to take him to school and, and provide everything and anything that he needed. But that concept never clicked. The times that this son would go hungry, not because there's no money, not because there's no provision, but because of lack of knowledge. Everything was exposed to him. But because of lack of knowledge, he was living a life that was way far below the life that he was supposed to live as a prince. Not because his dad is no longer the prince, but because he lacked knowledge. And here's the painful part of, with us as believers. Sometimes it takes time for us to click and to understand who we are. To understand our very nature. To understand the one who lives and the one who operates on the inside of us. There are certain things that we are depriving ourselves. Not because God is stingy. Because of lack of knowledge. But here's why I'm coming here this afternoon to you. And I'm saying, how do I know that the God who is the creator of the heavens and the earth, how do I know that the same God who fashioned this world to become what it is, how do I know that that God lives on the inside of me? He has deposited of his spirit on the inside of us. And he has given me his spirit as a marker guaranteeing what is to come. I remember at the conference, or even before that, we spoke about the seal. That the seal is the tangible evidence of what God has promised to do in our lives. How do I know that God is going to do everything that he promised? It's because of the spirit of God on the inside of us. It is because of the presence of the spirit of God right on the inside of us. I don't want you to be ignorant of the one who lives on the inside of you. I don't want you as a believer to be ignorant of the power that resides on the inside of you. The one who lives on the inside of you, he does speak. He does speak. Thank you so much, Mrs. Gray, for your testimony. That you are praying for something and then God speaks that I have already done it before it manifests. And he tells you, I'm going to do it in the coming week. 
and then it happens, the spirit of God who lives on the inside of us, he does speak. He does speak. He does speak. But pastor, I don't feel I'm qualified to those who believe. He has marked them. Ephesians chapter number 1, verse number 14. To those who believe, when we believed, the moment we believed, we were marked with the seal of ownership. The moment we believed, the moment we believed, we were marked in him. Don't allow the standard that are set by man to deprive you of your position. Don't allow the standard of man. You know, religion will put standards, will put benchmarks on you, will put a graph that you cannot even attain. I tell you, that's what religion will do. And it will make you look down on what God values. It will make you to ignore the great power of the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of you. It's only religion that will make you to look for what God has already put on the inside of you. He has deposited his spirit the very moment you believed. But pastor, how come it's not manifesting in my life? That is the great question. But how come, pastor, that spirit is not manifesting in my life? You need to grow. You need to grow day by day in submitting yourself to the spirit of God. Becoming conscious of the presence of God in your life. Becoming more aware and aware that even when I walk to work, I like that testimony, that even the moment that I walk to work and I step my feet on the ground, I'm conscious of the presence of God in me. Even when I'm called into the meeting and things are not going on well, I'm conscious of the presence of God right on the inside of me. I am very conscious. I'm not talking about the spirit who is supposed to come upon you. I'm talking about the spirit on the inside of you already. I'm conscious of his presence. When I go to any kind of interview, be it immigration, I'm conscious of the presence of the greater one who lives on the inside of me. That is why John at one time when he was writing to, he, to, his, to the believers whom he called my children, he says to them, you have overcome them. Yeah? He didn't say you are going to overcome them. He says, you have overcome them, past tense. Because greater is he who lives, where? In you, than the one who is in the world. Who is in the world is the devil who has been cast into the world. He's the one who's in the world. But the Bible says you have overcome them. The devil and his agents, you have overcome them. How do I know that I've overcome them? Because greater is he who lives on the inside of me. And that one is greater than the ones who are outside in the world. But how do I know that I've got the greater one on the inside of me? He has given us of his spirit. He has given us of his spirit. He has given us of his spirit. God owns you. You are God's property. And my prayer is that as you leave church today, chest out, head up, walk with confidence, enter through any door, no matter how scary other people have described it, but you be bold as a lion.
Stand up and build your courage, not on what people say, but on what Christ has already done. And enter it knowing that God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, lives right on the inside of you. And if that one lives on the inside of you, you can stand and boast like Paul who says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Surely he will do it. Do you know that there's so much that God wants to do in and through you? But sometimes we quench the spirit. We suffocate the spirit. We silence the spirit. But not for you this time. I'm saying not for you this time. I'm saying not for Ebenezer this time. We are going to submit ourselves to the spirit. We are going to incline our ears to hear any time and at any moment, the spirit whispers in us. Every time he gives us direction, we are attentive to him speaking to us. Guide us and lead us. Let's rise on our feet. I don't know about you. But here's my prayer. That God, help me to be more conscious of your spirit in me. Help me to be more conscious of what? Of your spirit who lives in me. Help me to be more. You know, there are some battles that you can easily win if you can just grow in walking in the spirit. There are some things that you can actually become a solution to your family if only you can yield your heart, captivate your heart to the rule and the reign of the spirit who lives on the inside of you. If you are like me, you're hungry and thirsty for a move of God, a touch of the Spirit of God in every area of your life, I want you to go before God and pray and say, Lord, help me to be more conscious of your presence in my life. To be more conscious of your presence in everything that I do. Let's pray to God. Thank you for tuning into Your Change, a broadcast aimed at revealing grace and empowering transformation. To interact with us, please visit our website at afmimmiltonkeens.org or follow us at Ebenezer Fellowship AFMIM on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. You can also interact with Pastor Danny on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. For easy access, the links are in the description. Until we meet again, may heaven keep smiling at you.